You are listening to Mosaic's Midweek Podcast. Through a series of personal reflections and stories, we share how the kingdom of God is breaking into our hearts and our city as it is in heaven. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Mosaic Midweek Podcast. This is Wes Mills here with Zeru. Zeru, how you doing? Doing well. Good to be here. Back for another go. Yes. So, uh, yeah. We have been talking about fasting, and uh, I guess it was about a week and a half ago, we talked about standing in solidarity with the poor. So just a couple of questions to think through, I think, practically today. What, what has been your experience with the church caring for those on the margins of a city? Yeah, if, if any <laughs> experience with that, they were more events centered around service for the community more than it was just like oh we care about the plight of the marginalized in a social justice type of way if that makes sense they so it was like uh free car washes you know what i'm saying and so Mm -hmm. just events around like oh rather than paying for this necessity or something that would be really helpful to keep your car running or to wash watch your kids so like uh, disability is a really important topic that we like have left out. And so at the church I was at for about six years, they at least made a big attempt to care for the people on the margins in regards to like special needs or disability with like creating programs for parents to have like nights out and here's free watch care for the children. Um, And all of that. But most of the care for the marginalized that we were told to enact was preach the gospel to them. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Like, if the, the, uh, I I came up in a Southern Baptist upbringing. So you would hear phrases like, the most important thing you can care for someone with is by telling them that Jesus loves them, that he died for them and resurrected. And so that even though that their circumstances are really bad, one day it'll all get better for hope. And so while I do believe in the hope of Jesus, like in all of those things, I felt like preaching the gospel in concern for the poor became a mechanism to hide behind um, a, a genuine passion to, to, to really evangelize. Mm-hmm. I, I do think that was part of the DNA the church wanted to build up in people who were maybe thinking talking about Jesus wasn't important. But then it was also just like it kind of um, made less important the actual circumstances because we'll read verses in the Bible like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like you see, Paul was content in all circumstances. So it's not your circumstances that dictate your joy in God. It's God himself. And while, again, theologically, there are like a lot of valid uh, ways to uphold that, that should never be just a reason to dismiss so the systemic care for the poor or marginalized that I saw factor in the church life was yeah just a genuine attempt to care for those with special needs uh, maybe like car washes or events to gather people around to tell about Jesus but if it was just like oh here are some communities that are economically disadvantaged or this that and the other I I I don't really remember much preaching or Mm. gathering around that or even just like understanding how policies affect those things so sure yeah yeah Yeah, I I do think I agree with you I mean there's definitely I mean in my own experience the um 
my experience being somewhat programmatic. Yeah. Very, well, no, somewhat, I think, very programmatic, which ac- I think can be a very good thing. Absolutely. It's just an incomplete thing. Right. Um, and it typically is event-centered, which means that it is it can be more often than not relationally depleted. Right. So that you, you have an event, you host an event, events are great things, um, but if it just stops with an event uh, and you, you lose a sense of the, the connectivity, the one-on-one, the walking with, uh, then it, it can feel, it can very much feel like a service project, yeah. uh, which again, there is a space for that, um, but it, it is just not the holistic picture. So, right. uh, you know, from a, from a systemic standpoint that you're talking about, I think on the other side of that is the the relational standpoint of just saying like I am going to walk with you uh, for an kind of an infinite amount of time, yeah, um, or an uh, kind of an unending amount of time. So I, I do think, and also I mean, the, in the context I am familiar with, the the idea is that some people are called to this thing, right. and some people are not called to this thing. Uh, some people are called to care for the poor. Some people are not. Th- at least that was sort of the the narrative. Um, and it becomes a bit of a, some people this is something they're very passionate about. And some people this is something they're not passionate right. about. And that gives you freedom to just dismiss it. Right. Um, which which can be, uh, which, which I think is very damaging in many ways. Uh, not just to the people that you're ministering to, but actually to your own soul. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess that leads me to like, the thought of why is there such a disconnect between the text and exhortations that we find in Scripture from Jesus and the many writers of the Scriptures and our typical reality. Right. You, you kind of uh, mentioned it a little bit just a few seconds ago where we kind of theologize it and say, oh, it's some people are passionate about that, this, this, and the other. So uh, the commands to care... Uh, by applying a hermeneutic that deciphers what's descriptive or prescriptive, right? We hear this all the time in theology school. What descriptive is, oh, this is just sharing a narrative of how it happened, but it might not be normative for how we live. A story I hear that about all the time is the church in Acts from like chapter two until chapter five, where it's just like they gave of everything they met every day, this, that, and the other, you know what I mean? And no one had need because because of just the sharing and distributing of the resources, this, that, and the other. And so what you'll have is people who, again, I'm, I'm not trying to, like, eschew uh, 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 a desire to have proper hermeneutics, but usually when it comes to texts that talk about uh, sacrificing your economic, uh, yeah, like, status for the sake of the greater good, there's usually a hesitation to be like, that's just descriptive those roots not prescriptive we're not the early church you know uh we don't have apostles leading the way as the literal voice of god you know what Mm. i mean so i think there's a theologizing that happens where we kind of that it makes it easier to dismiss or we we kind of rationalize all right well i live in this different context therefore since it's not the same as first century palestine surely there's some adaptations and i wouldn't even argue against that more than i would be like all right, what's the motivation behind wanting to use those texts to say it is descriptive? Is it to immediately um, remove yourself from the calling to care for the disadvantaged? Because if that's the case, I, I feel like the Bible would 
reject mm. that notion, reject that type of disposition. Ju- because, yeah, and so in, in the theologizing, it's like generosity and care for the poor is a heart position too more than it is an actual embracing of circumstances, which is also another way we theologize. I've, I've talked about this tweet in like four, five different podcasts before, but it helps me. In Philippians 2, when it talks about if any of you um, have any consolation, have this have this mindset of Christ who, who, who became humble, not considering himself one with God, but uh, became humble. And Abraham Cho on Twitter talked about this idea. Jesus just embracing humility wasn't just this like abstract or heart attitude disposition. He actually embraced humble circumstances by taking on flesh right he's not just being like oh humble like oh you're you're such a talented guy oh no praise god and it's literally oh he's humble because he became flesh and he uh, cared for the harassed he 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 died on behalf of the sins of the world he was literally like beaten and allowed himself to experience the same vulnerability humanity has been lingering in for forever and so like that embracing of circumstances i just can't kind of you were talking about on sunday you can't go back and see uh Mm -hmm. life a different way than now to go back to what you're doing when i when i see embracing humility that mentality of humility it can't be separated from the social action of all right my life is now not bent towards this cause it's 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 bent towards this person it's bent towards this community because humanity is not a cause to fix they're, they're, they're people to love they are communities to be held and so if those circumstances are less than that which i have i i think the reason why our typical realities are different from what the texts might uh demand of us is because we found ways to 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 find loopholes to say ah now jesus was Mm -hmm. talking to this group or the prophets were talking to israel and just because we might go about it in different methods we we ought not erase the whole message so yeah yeah, that was pretty wrong long but no no i think that's great i and i think to your point um it it, it's just it's it it is difficult like it is hard i think if you um we'd rather just not do hard things. Yeah. And uh, relationships with people, regardless of socioeconomic status, but relationships with people who don't share much overlap with you at at least first glance can be very hard. Right. Um, and it's just easier to not do difficult things yes. in life. Yes. Um, ironically, <laughs> the, the, the exhortation of Jesus is to pick up your cross, which is arguably the most difficult thing. Right, right. Um, and you know the other thing I think, and this is this is wading into some some interesting waters. But I I think that even if it, some of it's very consciously, some of it's very subconsciously, I think we have been discipled by politics into certain ways of thinking that can be unhelpful. Right. So it kind of goes back to what I talked about on Sunday: the idea of the whole narratives conversation. Um, and there are just some very large stereotypes, right? The the poor are lazy. They right. made uh, they made bad choices. They made bad decisions. They put themselves in this in this circumstance, et cetera, right. et cetera. And ironically, that way of thinking is lazy. Yes, <laughs> because placing labels on things and then moving on doesn't require anything of us. Uh, and it actually inherently, I think, 
makes us feel a level of superiority because we we can say well, we didn't make those choices or or I'm I'm a hard worker or, you know whatever it is. Uh, so we are the antithesis of yeah. the reason why they are in their circumstance. Right. Um, and so I think that's you know, we we read the that is a, a a large sort of political talking point. And whether it's conscious or whether it's subconscious, we have been discipled by those things. Yes. Um, whether absolutely. we want to admit it or not. Uh, and the other thing is there is, I, I, I think there is a lack of uh, proximity. So you can paint people with pretty large uh, brushes when you're not near them. And you don't know their story and you don't know their life and you are just removed. And it's just much easier to... Uh, dismiss a whole group of people uh, when you don't know a single person within that group of people. Right, um, right. It's much harder um, to do that when you know some of the intricacies and nuances and challenges and heartbreak and uh, gen- uh, generational cycles right. that they've been in. Uh, it is If you do that, if you know someone in those circumstances and you still continue to paint it that way, uh, there, there's a level of callousness right. that, that is just growing um, in you. Unfortunately, proximity isn't the only ingredient, right. but it is crucial. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, it is. It totally that, is. Right. And the other thing that I think is probably my generation's biggest problem is when we were growing up, we saw a lot of people go um, you know, to third world countries or right. to, to parts of the community. And what we sort of... Uh, revolted against is this idea of like, well, I'm not going to have a, sa- a, 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 a savior complex. Right, right. Um, and, and what that, what that kind of phrase has done is it has given us an excuse to bow out of the fight. Right. Uh, so in, because we've said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have a savior complex. What we have uh, then done is just completely removed ourselves from right. even being in a relationship with anyone who isn't of a different economic stratosphere than we are. Right. Um, and we've kind of put that at a moral high ground to say, I'm not going to save them because that's not my job. And that is true, but it doesn't excuse you from entering into a relationship with right. them. It actually propels you to enter into a relationship right. with them. Um, so there's, again, there's a lot of reasons why I think there was a disconnect and those are just a few, but I think you're right in some of the, the ways we think about theology yeah. um, and read things prescriptively versus descriptively. And we've said, well, that is, that is how they did it, but that isn't how we necessarily are going to do it. Uh, I think we can take that uh, a bit too far. Right. A yeah. I'm far. not saying it's not important, but it yeah. is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you think then are maybe just a couple of takeaways as it relates to considering life among among the margins? Yeah, um, I have three things, and then I'm going to say what they are and then try to unpack it. So the first takeaway about life among the margins is there are policies and cultures and histories that perpetuate the tragic conditions they live under, kind of like you mentioned. And two, um, nothing beats a listening and empathetic presence. And three... Jesus literally did nothing but draw near to the harassed and helpless. Uh, For the first point about the policies that perpetuate those conditions, those circumstances and situations that disinherited or disadvantaged folks might be in and find themselves in, um, a little to talk about that is um, if you don't understand that policies affect conditions, then you'll be more skeptical about... uh, 
maybe their fortuity or their ability to pull themselves up by them boot their bootstraps right this rugged individualism that we have been taught in civics courses about the 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 American just ability to get out of any problem that we have. And it's like, all right, that, that worked really well for a bunch of white males. <laughs> uh, white males specifically. White people in general, yes, but white males uh, specifically. And so if you don't understand these policies, you'll be skeptical of black people who live in over-policed areas and blame the need for uh, a large presence on things like fatherlessness or a collective penchant for debauchery. How many times have you heard that grow up? It's like, oh, you know, just these these black people or these Hispanic people, like, you'll just see them dancing and just, like, I've heard, I, like, there are so many stereotypes that it reinforce that lazy, um, yeah, just typecasting of people that confirms biases that say, ah, you see they did it to themselves, rather than interpreting that. Maybe they're trying to find joy in all their sorrow right now. You know what I mean? I, I, like, you know what I'm saying? To, to, to just take something and be like, oh, here's an easy answer for why this, that, and the other is happening. Uh, like, forget that policies might be affecting. It's like, no, these over-policed areas, the way laws uh, affect housing for people with not much income. Uh, that's an, and that's not just, like, black people. Like, even in Knoxville area, we, we've talked about it. Guatemalan communities and other, other communities that are very preyed upon by banks, these are systemic issues that perpetuate these conditions. You can't bring laziness into that type of topic uh, just to confirm your skepticism or biases mm. uh, in order to do that and also histories that help us why understand why particular races and communities may have not yet gotten themselves out of those less than ideal situations and yeah um, uh, another example of just these things it's like I well the reason why y'all are still in complaining about these policies things is maybe y'all aren't voting for the right people it's like well Voting laws are not always just like these airtight realities that are easy to do. So like uh, in Georgia, I think there was just this bill that passed a couple months ago. Like we're not going to pass out water. It's illegal to pass out water while you're standing in line. And that doesn't sound like that big of a deal. How is it systemic? But when you think about where some of these voting booths are for these communities that live far away from them, you know what I'm saying? Either they're walking, they're biking, or if they are driving there, it's like maybe an hour away from their place. And so it's like, it's kind of like weeding them out one by the other. And, but if you live in a suburban, comfortable place, not having water isn't really that big of a deal. And so I think those, those things, like when you consider the margins and what might affect why they, uh, may have not gotten to the point you think they could yet. There are different stories behind it. There's policies, cultures, and communities. I'm not saying their cultures are the reason they're in it, but there are things that culturally do that. Nothing beats uh, listening an empathetic ear quickly. Um, yeah, believing that one's hardship is not the product of individual behavior or laziness is really important as well. You, you've already touched on that, so I don't want to hit it on it too much, but that's important to reinforce. Um, and resists a devil's advocate and both sides approach. Uh, what I mean by that is even though many may not call it sin, people already have a keen sense for their inner brokenness and that they missed the mark. So I don't think sharing with the marginalized that the hand they were dealt is because of their sin is 
a healthy thing. So I, th- I think about John 9, when Jesus answers the disciples' questions about the blind man, who sinned, him or his parents, you know what I mean? And Jesus says, it's for the glory of God might be revealed, but there's this quick propensity we have to like find the solution or discovering why people are where they are, where listening and empathetic presence doesn't need to both side something or doesn't need to do a devil's advocate to try to get the marginalized to see, huh, Maybe this is what led to this, that, and the other. I'm not saying that relationships don't ever provide the space for recognizing habits that might affect a person individually. You know what I'm saying? But to just brass overcoat mm. that, it's, 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 it's just uh, something really important that I'm learning. Because I know my propensity is to be like, oh, this looks like you did this. And so that's probably, it's like, that's... Yeah, that's not actually as logical as it sounds. And then Jesus, he drew near to the harassed and helpless. I'm talking about children, the unclean, women, minorities, like, and et cetera. So when I consider life among the margins, like, I'm considering three things like that. So Mm. uh, that was really long. Yeah, that was really good. I think that the sort of the collective outlook versus the individualistic outlook uh, is is just a... uh, it's one of the great divides right. um, in our in our uh, world, yeah. um, and in, even in the church, which the worldview of the ancient Near East culture did not come out of an individualized right. perspective; it came out of a collective society. So, uh, which is why storytelling is still very important to many minority communities. You'll mm-hmm. see that as a yeah. I, I digress. <laughs> no, that's great. That's good. So, yeah, two two quick things. One is. Um, nothing so some simple takeaways right nothing will last if it's if it's not ignited in the furnace of prayer yeah uh, so just like a, a deep john 15 abiding in jesus and where did jesus go he went to the he went outside the gate he went at, literally outside where the the, the the people who were thrown out of the city were, yes. that's where he got crucified, outside the city gate. And so if we're going to go to the places, we have to step outside the gate. Where is that? We got to ask that question. Where mm. is that in our city? Um, the other thing, too, is you're not trying, no one here is trying to hit a grand slam. Yep. Uh, you're not trying to start a nonprofit. You're not even trying to do something big. It's It is actually better for most people if no one knows what you're doing. Yeah. Um, it, 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 it it, there's something about doing life with people um, and not making it a public spectacle, yep. even in your own circle of friends, um, that actually grows a deep-rooted tree of humility in mm. you uh, where you can say, I am, I am not doing this to be noticed. Yeah. Um, and I also know that my... Um, my humility, as weird as it is to say, is growing because I don't actually care um, that no one notices. Uh, but the more I care about people noticing what I'm doing uh, amongst right. life with the people, is, uh, it, it just it feeds the pride. Yeah. Um, but this, here's another real, very small step, but again, I think it's helpful. Obviously, fasting from food once a week can be very transformative, like we've been talking right. about. Uh, but something else related to food that can be equally transformative, I think, is if once a week, again, for the next, let's just say the next decade, uh, or maybe for the next 
month. <laughs> um, you just ate, once a week, you just ate rice and beans. Mm. Uh, over a billion people in the world eat rice and beans. Right. It's cheap and it has protein, uh, right. which is what you need to sustain yourself. Right. Um, and it's a reminder to both feel gratitude to God for food um, and for many other things, life itself, yeah. uh, and a reminder that I have way more than I need. Yep. Uh, and so just the simple act of making a very simple dish that literally the rest of the world eats every day uh, is just an act of, it is an act of solidarity, but it's, it's an act of humility, but it's also just an act of recognition right. um, that I actually have the privilege right. <laughs> to not eat rice and beans or choose to eat rice and beans. Right. And so actually I'm going to choose that because I want to grow in me a sense of, of realizing that not everything has to be gourmet, right? Uh, right. In many ways, so there is a, uh, a a kind of a collection of churches in Tampa, and one of their values is caring for the poor. And I'm just going to read the statement of what they said because I think it's so helpful to kind of wrap up our time. Yeah. Uh, it says, "We will remember the poor because we believe that God does." We believe that they are central to his mission in the world, and it is our conviction that God is always on the side of those who have no one on their side. Right. And for that reason, we believe the church should also stand on the side of the poor, and in so doing, stand in solidarity with the heart and work of God. Mm. Jesus' own ministry is our model. We welcome all people, but prioritize the poor in our ministry concern, allocation of resources, and advocacy. We do this not because the rich and middle class are less important to God, but because they already have access to resources and are able to advocate their own cause. It is our belief that the church should therefore prioritize and remember those who have less and access to less, so that in all things there might be equality, uh, which is what the kingdom of heaven will look like. Right. Uh, a flat, a beautiful, complex, diverse, flat line of equality um, where we are all saying Jesus is Lord um, and we all are on the same playing field. Right. Um, and we want that in our city as it is in heaven. So, Saru, thanks for the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.